Hello and welcome to the Watership Down podcast episode 21. First of all, some barrow keeping. A couple of mistakes from last week. I think I must have been a bit tired. I'm now working nights and still need to make sure I get the sleep routine right. I aim to wake up knee frith after a shift, but it doesn't always work out that way. First of all, I got the number of the chapter wrong. It was chapter 22, not 21. I've corrected the episode title and notes, but the mistake will remain in the audio. I also referred to Hazel as Holly a couple of times. Sorry about all that. Anyway, on with the episode. Croicocephalus ridibundus, or the black-headed gull. As we are about to meet the second most prominent species in the book, I thought I would just briefly introduce the species. The black-headed gull is a small gull, 37 to 44 centimetres, that's 15 to 17 inches long, with a 94 to 110 centimetre, that's 37 to 43 inch wingspan, according to Wikipedia. They have red beaks, as opposed to the yellow-orange beaks of larger white-headed seagull species. The black head is actually dark brown and molts in winter, leaving a patch behind each eye. They are an overwintering species, according to Wikipedia, which means that Kihar really does just want to get back to the Pig Vata. Once there, he probably won't be migrating any further, I don't think. Although Kihar has been portrayed on film as keeping his black head throughout the story, there is actually a clear reference to his head molting during the course of this chapter, leaving just a brown patch behind each eye. This is why I've been careful to find an appropriate image of a molted black-headed gull in my latest Instagram image based on this chapter. The phrase one day is used to open the paragraph after Kihar settles into the warren, during which his head molting is referred to, implying some passage of time after his arrival. However, none of the main plot of the book is set in winter when this molting is supposed to happen, so I'll be researching this further with particular reference to descriptions of the seasons passing in the book. Can these gulls molt prematurely if they don't get to mate? Or did Adams make a mistake by having Kihar molt prematurely? Is this why he retained his black head in the 1978 film? Or was it just another example of plot simplification? This controversy has the makings of another lost paragraph. See episode 15. What fun! The Doe Problem. This is the first chapter in the book in which there is reference within the main plot to the passage of time. Up to now, the narrative has been more or less continuous. But with Holly and Bluebell settling in, the new Warren starts to settle down into a place where rabbits are living rather than arriving. However, the overriding challenge facing this Warren is about to rear its head the absence of does or female rabbits. No does equals no breeding, and before long, no Warren. Let's just remind ourselves that a female character has yet to be quoted in the book, though Hazel's conversation with the doe Nildro Hain in The Warren of the Snares does refer, refer to what she said to Hazel. The efforts of the rabbits of Watership Down to get some does to join them has also been criticised as reducing female characters in the book to nothing more than breeders. The only other value they have, they have been said to have is as burrow diggers, but even that is breeding-related, and the bucks of Watership Down have learnt to dig for themselves. So this criticism, bearing in mind the absence of female characters so far, seems to me to have some validity. However, Heisenthray, who we will meet later, has a little more to her character than merely being a passive breeder. Solving the doe problem will drive the remaining plot of the book, 
and will be the cause of its shocking climax, the portrayal of which in the 1978 film version traumatised my generation. The means by which the problem will largely be solved, and ironically by which the shocking events will come to pass, is about to enter the story. The legend that is Kihar. Chapter 23. Kihar. For the sake of brevity, there is so much in this book that does not involve the main plot that I avoid describing in too much detail. The opening of this chapter, which is rich and varied in its subject matter, is one such example. Adams covers rabbit proverbs, Hazel's idea, and the beauty of a high downland sunrise in such wonderful language that all I can say to you is, please read it in full if you haven't already. One thing that does bear mentioning is the, quote, second opportunity to put Hazel's idea of cooperating with other creatures into practice. This idea of Hazel's goes beyond the genius of Blackberry. It is almost visionary. No wonder Fiverr is Hazel's brother. The opening quote refers to an injured bird of prey dragging its wing behind it and how it will face its inevitable death with fortitude. This is what Kihar is facing on Watership Down, before he has the extraordinary good fortune of a newly arrived bunch of Hlesil deciding to help him. The very next morning, Bigwig and Silver are outside feeding when they come across a creature nearly as big as themselves, hidden in a hollow in the grass. They can see it has a white back and hear it hissing. Ruling out it being a cat, they decide to investigate further themselves. John Ruth has pointed out that they are described as having, quote, a good opinion of themselves, end quote, and that this isn't necessarily egotistical. They just know what they are capable of as former Owsler members and decide to investigate on their own. The creature, a bird, is obviously injured and is striking out at them with its bill in fear and anger. Its sudden ear-splitting cry causes them to run away before they can stop themselves, which contrasts hilariously with their bravery. They manage to collect themselves a bit before meeting Hazel, who has heard the cry. His obvious questioning of why they ran away and the size of what they ran away from, has a certain dry humour. The three of them return to the bird, and Hazel tries to talk to it in the simple lingua franca used by all animals. Its speech, its speech is very exotic, and it obviously comes from a long way away. They notice that it has torn up the grass in front of it, trying to find food. It is clearly starving. Hazel asks Bigwig to get some worms, or any insects he can find. Bigwig reacts to this, like Bigwig. So Hazel goes to do it himself, and Bigwig immediately follows. More of Hazel's natural ability for leadership on display. Eventually they manage to find some rotten wood that will contain insects, and take it to the bird, which immediately eats everything it can find in the wood. They spend a while finding food, including Bigwig digging worms out of horse dung. He may complain a lot, but his loyalty to Hazel's requests, or orders, seems to be beyond doubt. It won't be long before this is tested far further than finding a few worms. Once the bird has finished eating, they start to talk again. The bird denies it is hurt, and when Hazel points out that it will be done for if it stays where it is, and offers to help the bird, it tells him to... go away. Only it uses, how shall I put this, a two-word English term related to urine, the second word being off. Hazel decides to leave it alone for a while. He obviously has a plan that involves befriending a bird, and this large one turning up suddenly is ideal. The rabbits carry on working on the warren for the afternoon. 
Then Hazel returns to the bird early in the evening. It is weaker now, and knowing the rabbits can provide food, it is a little more open to persuasion. It agrees to follow Hazel to the warren. On spreading its wings and grimacing, it is obvious it cannot fly due to injury. Hazel cuts through the supply of surprise of the other rabbits by ordering them to find the gull food and dig a special lobby at the entrance to a burrow for it to shelter in. And these are definitely orders. The other rabbits are tired from digging and on the edge of saying no, but Bigwig trusts Hazel's judgement and backs him up. He doesn't know what Hazel is planning, but is fascinated by the bird. I imagine in the same way a soldier would be by a captured weapon. The gull is now able to limp about, finding some food for itself. Adams refers to this species moving south for the breeding season. But if they're overwintering, that presumably isn't too far, otherwise what does overwintering mean? However, this does mean that an injured gull is likely to be left behind. Would they usually travel this far inland? I know many gulls range quite away from the coast. I live about 15 miles from the sea and we have larger gulls nesting on a flat roof. But Watership Down is over twice as far from the coast as we are. If anyone listening has any knowledge of gulls that can help answering the lengthening list of questions I have about them, I'd be grateful for any information. As the gull's pain and fear diminishes, its gregarious instincts return. Bigwig, in particular, begins to befriend it, listening to it talk about its life for several hours. Bigwig learns that the gull was injured by a cat in a nearby farmyard, but was able to stand up to it before struggling up onto the down. The idea of standing up to a cat inspires Bigwig, and Holly has to interrupt him to ask what the bird is. Bigwig says that it lives with countless other birds of its kind, or hrere, as rabbits would say, in a place where the earth stops. Beyond that is just water, though there is more earth further on. The water makes a noise against the earth that the gull misses. Bigwig has reached the limit of his understanding at this point. On a more practical note, the gull is male, obviously, and is called Kiha. I've always put the emphasis on the first syllable of the name, Kiha, but I've noticed I've slipped into the habit of emphasising the second one, Kiha, since listening to the Peter Capaldi audiobook. How do you pronounce it? Hazel is keen to know if Kiha will just leave once he is better. He explains why. At this point, the dough problem is introduced for the first time. We also have a confirmation that Nildro Hain, Strawberry's mate at the Warren of the Snares, quote, stopped running, the rabbit euphemism for dying. Adams made it, makes it clear that neglecting a gender balance is a mistake that humans have also made in history. The American Wild West is an example I can think of, and the effects of this are never good. Hazel says he plans to, quote, get hold of some does, end quote, and bring them to warship down. This is the language of commodity and reinforces the criticisms of Watership Down in the way it deals with female rabbits. There are no signs of any warrens nearby, so he plans to have Kihar look further afield for them. Even Blackberry is impressed with this original thinking, and Bigwig says he will try to persuade Kihar to help them. Adams makes it clear that pointing out the lack of does is a general awareness among Mother Warren that Hazel, as leader, has just articulated. However, his idea for Kiha to search for them is truly Elachrera-like in its genius. However, let's just bear in mind that even Elachrera can be too clever for his own good. Not hang a farm, anyone? More of that later. As the saying goes, there will be blood.
The rabbits dedicate themselves to feeding Kihar and become impressive insect hunters. Lack of water is a real issue for Kihar and rainfall is very welcome. And now we come to the point I mentioned earlier where it is made clear that for the first time in the book some time has passed, as in quite a few days. Kihar, with his head molted to almost white, has something to say to Hazel, which he says in broken lapine, which is he has been learning. He makes it clear how grateful he is to the rabbits to, for helping him to recover. He owes them his life. It is too late for him to breed now that year. He offers to look for mudders for the warren, as he puts it. Hazel reacts in a slightly patronising way, letting Kihar think he thought of that idea. Bigwig has clearly done his job well. In fact, the team of Hazel and Bigwig has worked very well. The next day, Kihar makes some practice flights. Then, three days later, he sets out on a, quote, perfect June morning, end quote. I hadn't spotted that reference when I recorded the section about black-headed gulls, so here is the concrete question. Would a member of this species ever molt in June? He flies away to the north along the line of the downs. Fiverr is certain Kihar will return, but he also has a brief, brief vision that it is easy to miss concerning the gifts of El Akharar, which are, quote, trickery, great danger, and blessing for the Warren, end quote. Bigwig is short-tempered while waiting for the return of Kihar. Bluebell pushes his luck by re remarking that, that his characteristic fur cap is molting in sympathy with Kihar and has to be rescued by Holly. One afternoon as it says, the second reference to the passage of time in the book, Kihar returns. There is a smell of haymaking from the field below the down, which indicates that it is now July at the earliest. Hazel, Bigwig and Fiverr go to see him in his guano-covered lobby. Although Kihar can now feed himself, he clearly expects the old treatment and the foragers find insects for him. Once fed, Kihar says he flew along the down, north and south, as well as in the directions of the rising and setting sun, east and west. He found no other warrens. I have to ask at this point if that is realistic over such an area. Rabbits are ubiquitous in this country. He really saw none? However, the story won't work. It wouldn't work if he had. Perhaps at the height he flew at, he would only spot large warrens? However, this is contradicted by his next revelation. He has seen rabbits being kept in a box in a farm at the foot of the down. Now comes the biggest revelation. Kihar flew south to, quote, their sun go middle of day, unquote, in the direction of the Pigvata. There he saw a river, and on the north side of that river and an iron road, there is a large, quote, town of rabbits with, quote, plenty mudders. He estimates it would take about two days for a rabbit to get there. The rabbits of Watership Down absorb this news overnight, their discussions leading to a conclusion that Hazel articulates as always. The warren is big, so it can't be taken by force. The casual way this is referred to is shocking, perhaps. Neither do they want to leave Watership Down and go to join it. The obvious answer is to go to the warren and, quote, get some does. Holly refers to the way does can get unhappy in a large overcrowded warren and can even reabsorb kittens before they are born. This was a gift to Elacherera from Frith, so that no one wanted rabbit would ever be born. Strawberry was unaware of this, having grown up in the chronically undercrowded warren of the snares. 
Hazel suggests an expedition to the Warren. Blackberry advises that only three or four rabbits go, as, quote, three or four can travel quickly and aren't conspicuous, and the chief rabbit of this Warren would be, would be less likely to object to a few strangers coming with a civil request, end quote. Words that will come back to haunt him. Hazel selects the party carefully with the group. Holly is an obvious choice, as, the, as a former Owsler member and good diplomat who knows open country well. They also choose Silver, Buckthorn and Strawberry, whose, whose redemption is now complete. They set out early the following morning, with Kihar flying ahead to navigate for them and bring back news. Bigwig jokes about there soon being lots of little bigwigs running about. I need to say a big thank you to John Ruths, whose notes have really helped in the preparation of this complex episode. Anyone who helps in this way is going to get credited, so please feel free to get in touch if you want to contribute. In the next episode, while waiting for news, Hazel has an idea. I would argue that it is the low point of his leadership. <laughs>